Once you become a Christian, what's the next step? Well, first you become part of God's family. It's incredibly exciting. You're no longer alone. We always say that life is about relationships with God and with each other. When you become a Christian, you don't just exist anymore. You begin to really live. You get new life, abundant life, and eternal life. It's a fresh start, and it means you're a brand new person. We call this fourth phase discipleship. God's plan for your life is for you to enter into meaningful relationships with Him and His family. This is why it's critical that you never miss family gatherings, or as we say, church. In your new family, there are people appointed by God to teach and guide and care for you. We call these people the pastors and elders. Just as in any family you grow up in, you're taught the values, habits, and the behaviors of your church family. You're joining the journey we're all on, namely becoming like Jesus. This is the second thing that happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Cross Church has developed an outline for living your new life in Christ. Our whole church is structured around what we call the seven habits of serious Christ followers. By living out the seven habits that Jesus exhibited, you will become like him and complete the journey, which is heaven. Here's Pastor Allen with the conclusion of the series, Conversions. Now, before we go further, I want to tell you there, there are three, at least three kinds of Christians. And you're going to find out in a minute that two of them aren't really Christians. First of all, there's what we would call a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian is somebody who grew up in a, a country that considers itself Christian. For many, many years, Britain was known as a Christian country. In fact, if you ask the average Brit, Roy, I don't know if you, do you call yourself a Brit now because you're from Wales? You're still a Brit, aren't you? Yeah, you're still a Brit. So if I ask him what, what kind of, what, what's the religion of England? Well, of course, he's going to say, you know, it's Christian, it's Anglican. If you ask an American, especially from the Bible Belt, What's the religion of America? They'll say it's Christianity. In fact, in the mind of those who live in the Bible Belt in the southern states, as far as they're concerned, there's no difference between their governments and the Bible. It's all sort of meshed together. That's what we call a a Christian or a a cultural Christian. We saw how, how ludicrous this is back in, in the last century, Catholics and Protestants fought each other in Ireland. They killed each other. And the the battle, of course, the the TV announcer would say X number of Protestants were killed by Catholic bombs. And and then in reverse, the Protestants got even with the Catholics. And you're scratching your head and you're thinking to yourself, these are Christians fighting each other like that? Really? Really? Could you imagine Jesus picking up a machine gun and letting those Catholics have it? Or let's reverse it. Could you imagine Jesus picking up a, a shotgun and letting those Protestants have it? It's ludicrous, isn't it? And yet somehow in our mind, we believe that because we grew up Protestant or grew up Christian, therefore we are Christians. And there's, it's just simply not true. The other kind of Christian is the heritage Christian, the one who grew up in a Christian home. Your mom and dad were Christians, and your grandparents were Christians, your great-grandparents were Christians, and so therefore you're a Christian. 
You know, the other, uh, on the weekend, we were out visiting uh, some Hutterites, in a Hutterite colony. We got discussing a little bit about their faith. In fact, um, one fellow gave me a great big fat book like this and says, please read that. And then next time you come back, we'll be, uh, we can discuss what's in that book. So, I mean, it's a fat book, so I suspect I won't be there for a couple of years. But <laughs> in the book, it talks all about the Hutterite faith. So I, I got asking some questions about that. And he said, we are from the Anabaptist tradition, which basically says they don't believe in baptizing children, babies, because they believe that you have to make your own confession of faith. You have to make a decision for Jesus Christ. You have to put your faith in Christ. And after you've put your faith in Christ, then you make a decision to be baptized. And that is what the Hutterites believe. That intrigued me. Because I would have thought that these people would have uh, what we would call a heritage Christianity. My parents were Christians, my grandparents were Christians, my great-grandparents, and so on and so forth. But it's not so. You have to make that personal decision yourself, which leads me then to my third kind of Christian. It's what I would call a real Christian. Now, before I even explain what that means, I want to ask you this question today. Are you a real Christian? Or are you a heritage Christian? My family are all believers, so therefore I go to church. Or are you a cultural Christian? I belong to a Christian, I'm in a Christian country, so therefore I'm going to go to a Christian church and worship because that's what I do. Let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about what a real Christian is. And I'm going to tell you, based on the scripture I'm going to read to you in just a moment, a real Christian is somebody who has counted the cost that is, they have thought through the implications of being a Christian. They thought it through. They said, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to follow Christ. And so they therefore embrace Jesus Christ, and they say, he's going to be my Lord and my Savior. So before I talk about this life, this new life as a Christian, let me just quickly do a, an overview of what we've talked about for the past three weeks. First of all, we said that there's a search that Jesus Christ sent his son to this earth to seek and to save what was lost. And here's what we said right from the beginning in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Look at this verse. It says, for Jesus, watch this, for Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. This, my friends, is at the core, at the very center of our Christian faith. We understand that Jesus Christ came to us by the will of the Father to find you and to save you. And I'm one of the people that Jesus found. I've been found by Jesus, and I'm saved, and I belong to him. And if that happened to you today, I would like you to just don't raise your hand. Just simply say, um, uh, what should we say? Let's say amen. amen. Oh, there's a few of us. That's good to hear. We've been found by Jesus Christ. This is at the core of our faith. Now, can I just point something out to you? There's a lot of churches that have forgotten this. And they, they've forgotten to teach this. This is not what, what motivates or drives their church. Secondly is the discovery, where one day Jesus has found you and you think you've discovered God. Suddenly God has caused everything to align in your life so that you, you finally found God. And you say to your friends, I discovered God. In actuality, you didn't discover God, God found you. You didn't find God, God found you. And then last week, we talked about the transformation, 
We talked about the fact that, that we begin as fat little worms. And all we do is just we eat and eat and eat our leaves. And our life is just basically in existence. Until one day we get fed up with mere existence. We don't want to exist anymore. We want to live. And so like the fat little caterpillar, we attach ourselves to a branch or a leaf. We hang ourselves upside down. I mean, not literally. Hang ourselves upside down, spin a cocoon. And you remember what I told you, that the little caterpillar emits enzymes that literally dissolve its body and turn it into a liquid. It's just amazing. And then out of that liquid comes a brand new creation, which we call a butterfly. Whereas that worm used to crawl around and just eat, that's all it did every day. Now there's a butterfly that soars over the trees that has finally come alive. We talked about that is what happens to those who become Christians. Now, can I just point something out to you really quickly? In most churches, in many churches, this is where the discussion of conversion stops. We have this notion of this idea, at least you know, in the old-time Pentecostal churches and, and Baptist churches, if we can just get people to come forward. This is what used to happen in many churches. We'd say, everybody close your eyes, and we get somebody on the organ or the piano to play in the background and stir our hearts, and we say, does anybody, don't look around, does anybody want to become a Christian? And, and hands would go up, and the pastor would say, I see that hand, I see that hand. Now, look, I'm not mocking this. Please don't, don't think that. But we'd get the person to come forward, and then we would get them to say a prayer, a, a prayer of, conver, uh, of conversion, where they ask Jesus to come into their life, and they confess their sins. We ask them to repent. They were going in that direction, and now they've, they've turned, and they're going in another direction. They're going to follow Jesus. And then it stops. That's as far as it goes. And we say, praise God, we've got our conversions. We've got our decisions for Jesus. And then... And then Our denomination, we have a head office in Toronto, and they send out a questionnaire, and they say, tell us, how many people made decisions for Christ? And how many people speak in tongues? And how many were baptized? But no no question there, how many people were discipled? How many were taught how to follow Jesus? There's no question like that on that sheet. Right, Jeff? Yeah. I'm going to tell you today, folks. Billy Graham himself said this. Getting a person to come and say, I need, to be, I need to become a Christian. He said, that's 5% of the work. 95% of the work is actually discipling them and showing them how to live this Christian life. And so in the next few minutes, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about this new life of the disciple. Now listen to these words. This, is, this may shock you, but these are the words of Christ. For those of you who have a very sentimental, mushy, gushy feeling and warm and fuzzy, wuzzy, cozy feeling about Jesus and his words, this is going to just throw you right off. So I'm just warning you, okay? So this is a, a, an advisory. Whatever you thought about Jesus, this may change your mind. Now listen to this. A large crowd, we're talking about Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them. Now remember, if I was the one that was going to build a movement to kick Rome out of Jerusalem, I probably wouldn't be saying these things. But here it is. Jesus looks at this large crowd and it says large. Let's just say crowd. It's a large crowd. I mean, the disciples must be thinking, man, Jesus, this is our opportunity. We're going to take over the country. 
And Jesus says this, if you want to be my disciple, that is, if you want to be my follower, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my follower. You can't be my disciple. Wow. And here, here it is in another version. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So I want to point out something to you. The version from which I just read that scripture, the New Living Translation, the NLT, it actually adds that phrase by comparison. But in the original language, it doesn't say that. This new version is trying to help you understand what Jesus is saying. But Jesus has no intention of not being shocking. So he says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father, mother, sister, wife, brother, sisters, uncles, aunts, or whatever, you can't be my disciple. Now, obviously, we understand that Jesus is not calling you to hate anybody. But look at this. Jesus wants you to understand that your love for him must be so great, so grand, that your love for your wife and your children actually looks like hate. That's how great your love for Jesus must be. In other words, Jesus is saying, I gotta be number one in your life. Wow. Jesus, do you really wanna win people off uh, over to, to your side? And, and look at this, and it goes on. If that's not shocking enough, then Jesus says this, verse 27. He says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Well, I already told you what the significance of the cross is. It's like, you want me, Jesus, to identify with that shameful weapon of destruction, the cross? Jesus says, yeah, you have to identify with that because I'm going to die on the cross. And if you're going to be my follower, then you need to identify with that. And then it gets, listen to this. Jesus helps us understand what he's saying. He says in verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. Don't begin to follow me. Don't even think about being a Christian. Don't even think about being a disciple. That's why at our church, we don't twist anybody's arm. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life. I don't have Chris up here on the organ trying to work on your nerves and on your emotions. Because I want the Holy Spirit to do the work in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. So you come to the place where you say, you know what? I understand now that this is the best thing for me. I need to be a follower of Christ. And so Jesus, don't begin to, to follow me until you count the cost. For who would begin constructing a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Man, I see that all the time, folks. I see people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ to get excited about it, and as soon as something goes wrong, they're off, they're gone, and they're not following Christ anymore. Now, I'm not judging them, and I'm not condemning them. I've got nothing but love in my heart. But listen to this, folks. Listen to this. You and I need to understand that following Christ is not just sort of the flavor of the week. I'm gonna, this week, I'm going to be a Christian, and next week, maybe I'll be a Buddhist, and the week after that, I'll be an atheist, and the week after that, an agnostic. Jesus is saying, when you decide that you're going to follow me, 
Count the cost first. I'm not trying to win any popularity contest, Jesus is saying. Jesus is not trying to win a popularity contest. In fact, we see over and over and over again, Jesus not making it easier, making it more difficult. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to be a follower of Christ? So Jesus says this, skipping down to verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Pretty, pretty strong words. Now, after the service this morning, I thought, man, after I, after I tell everybody what Jesus expects, I'm going to have nobody left in the church. They're all going to say, you know, I'm going to go to an easier church where they teach different things. Look at this is not my stuff. It's not my ideas. This is right from the Bible. This is what Jesus says. And the question is this, are you ready and willing to identify with Christ? Verse, look at this, verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? You need to identify with me. You need to make it clear to the world that you belong to me. And until you're willing to do that, you're not, you're not really a follower of Christ. Listen to this. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to take seriously this business of being a Christian, then here's what you need to know, is that you need to identify Christ with Christ here and now. Do your friends know that you're a Christian? Do your neighbors know that you're a follower of Christ? Parents, do your kids know you're a Christian? Or are you just, are you, just you know, you know, here's what I've discovered. Kids, kids got a great um, a BSometer. Can I say that? They know baloney when they see it and when they hear it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if you're saying you're a Christian and you're saying you're a follower of Christ, but you're not really living up to it, your kids will know it in an instant. If you want to turn your kids off of Christ, then be a hypocrite. But if you're going to truly, truly follow Christ and you want your kids to follow Christ, then you are going to have to learn what it means to really take seriously this business of following Jesus. And you're going to have to do it, folks, even if it means it's detrimental to your health or detrimental to your very life. Some of you know about what ISIS is doing around the world today. And uh, listen to this. The Daily Mail reports this. Christians face being wiped out from the Middle East within 10 years as they're killed by ISIS or forced to flee persecution. Did you hear that? Within 10 years, they're saying that Christianity will be wiped out in the Middle East. Listen, in Iraq, where Christians are being butchered in mass executions by ISIS, their number, the number of Christians has plunged from 1 million to just 275,000 in the last 12 years. And if you Google it, you're going to see that there are literally thousands upon thousands and thousands of believers who have been beheaded or executed. Little, little children, women, everybody, without, without prejudice, they just kill, if you, they kill you if you're a Christian. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because we've been asking and researching and finding out what's been happening amongst those believers. And missionaries there and pastors there are saying this. You would think that the threat of death, the threat of ISIS coming at them, these, these radical Muslim fundamentalists that have perverted their faith and taken it to another level of jihad, 
You would think that these Christians in the faith, face of death would say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to become Muslim. I don't want to lose my life. I'm going to convert just to, to save my, my life. Missionaries are saying this. They're saying, rather than, than seeing people turn away from God and convert to another religion, what they're saying is that these believers who face execution, beheading, have become more vibrant, more committed, more determined in their faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes, they're refusing to turn their backs on Jesus because someday they want Jesus Christ to acknowledge them before the Father. I'm here this morning not to make becoming a Christian easy. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just giving you the cold facts. Here's what's involved in following Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you're at the point now where you're saying, Pastor Allen, I don't care what it costs. I, I want to be transformed. I want to become a, a new creation. I want to be a different person. I'm sick of my old life. I'm sick of it. I want that happy and abundant life you've been talking about. I want to be sure that if I die, I'm going to heaven. Okay, if that's you, if you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm ready, I'm ready to go the next step. Then let me, I'm going I'm to tell you what you have to do next. If you're not ready, if you're here to say, Pastor Allen, I'm not quite ready for this. I'm not quite ready to go to that next level. That's okay. No panic. Nobody's twisting your arm. Keep coming to church. Keep coming to hear what I've got to say. And maybe something will begin to happen in your heart, in your mind. I know people gone to church for many years. It was many years. And then suddenly after being in church for many years, they finally, boom, the lights came on and they finally understood what it was about. But getting back to the ones now who are saying, Pastor Allen, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm ready to follow Christ. Here's, here's what you need to do. And it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And it says this. It says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Did you get that? Give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Can I just remind you today that worship of God is not just singing songs on Sunday. It's living a life that pleases Christ. It's living a life that is aligned with Christ. And what do we do? We live this Christian life. We adopt the customs, the behaviors, the habits of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you know, in this church, we have what we call the seven habits of a serious Christ follower. This is how we make disciples here. And if you, if you don't have that bookmark that tells you the seven habits, then please pick one up before you leave today. But listen to this. These seven habits are the behaviors of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you need to pray. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You need to repent. If you've been going in that direction, now you've got to go in this direction. It's changing directions. It's changing the correct, the, it's correcting the, the, the trajectory of your life. Now listen to this. If that's what you're going to do, then you need to change your behaviors, your customs, your habits. You need to adopt the behaviors and the customs of Jesus Christ. And that's why we teach these seven habits, to teach you how to live now that you become a Christian. You've heard me say this before. 
When you became a Christian, did anybody tell you what you needed to do when you became a Christian? Most of us, no. I, I wasn't told what to do. I became a Christian. Nobody says, now that you're a Christian, Alan, here's how you live. Here's what your new habits need to be. Here's what your new behaviors and customs ought to be. So we're, we, we filled in that gap, folks. And we're, we're helping you here at Cross Church to know what you need to do now. And so here's what they are really, really quickly, because my message is not on the seven habits, but it's about living this life that Jesus Christ has called us to live. And these seven habits are actually the habits of Jesus himself. First, have a daily walk with God, praying and reading your Bible every day. You're connecting with God on a daily basis. A lot of people have grown up in the church and they did not know that you can have a personal relationship with God. God will talk to you and you can talk to God. Secondly, you need to go to church every Sunday. That's right, every Sunday you need not to miss. It's very important. Why? Because when you miss, that's when you begin to fall back and fall away. Coming to church, you get your spiritual batteries recharged. You learn, you grow, you stay strong. There's accountability. Number three is what we call moment-by-moment holiness. And it's simply this, folks. It's every decision you make, you're asking yourself the question, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus talk like that? Would Jesus think like that? Would Jesus act like that? And you do what Jesus would have you to do. Number four, it's to be in a small group where there's care and accountability. Some people say, Pastor Allen, I come to this church and I was in the hospital. Nobody came to visit me. Well, you need to get into a small group so you can properly be cared for and so that you can in turn care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Number five, you need to serve. You need to use your gifts. Number six, you need to be involved in discipleship where you are sharing your faith with others. My brother was telling me that he remembers when he was young and they would say, you need to go and share your faith with people. He said, it terrified him. Well, let me tell you this, folks. If Jesus Christ has transformed your life and Jesus is telling you to tell others about him, he's not asking you to go preach a sermon. All he's asking you to do is to share with others what Jesus has done in your life. That's all you have to do. And we've been showing video clips every Sunday for the past three weeks and we have another great video clip in just a few moments of someone's life who's been, been converted, been transformed. Now listen to this, folks. There's no sermon preached here. It's only a testimony, a testimonial, if you will, of what Jesus has done in her life and how her life has been changed. And then finally, you have to give because giving is the indication that you no longer serve money, but now you serve God. One day, when Jesus was saying more shocking things to the crowds, in fact, Jesus had just finished telling everybody they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The Bible says in John chapter 6 that many, many of his followers, they left Jesus. They said, this is crazy. I can't be part of this anymore. After teaching the difficult and extremeness of this faith, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he said this to them. He says, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave? In essence, he was saying, why are you still with me? Why are you doing this? Why are you following me? And here's what the disciples said to him. Now let the spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Here's what the disciples said to Jesus. After all these extreme statements, Simon Peter replied to Jesus, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words 
of eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. This is what it comes down to right now, folks. Is Jesus Christ who he says he is? Does Jesus Christ really have the words of eternal life? Is Jesus Christ really the one who's going to get you to heaven? Is Jesus Christ really the one that can show you the way to a happy and abundant life? If you believe that he is, then like Peter and his disciples, you'll say, Jesus, we're sticking with you. We're sticking at your side. We'll do whatever it takes. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you if it means death. And by the way, just so you know, just to make it even more difficult for you this morning, all of his disciples but one were put to death because of their faith. Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. Folks, that's what conversion's all about. It's coming to that place where you say, Lord, there is no other way. You have the keys to a happy and fulfilling life. You have the keys to eternal life. And so I ask you this morning, are you a cultural Christian? Are you a heritage Christian? Your family is Christian, so therefore you are? Or are you a real Christian? My prayer is that today will be the day that you say, God, I'm ready to give you my life. I'm ready to follow Jesus no matter what the cost because I know that I know that I know you're real. You have in your hands eternal life and you have what it takes to give me an abundant life. So Jesus, I'm yours. Father, thank you for your spirit at work here right now. We thank you, Jesus, that even now your spirit is moving and working in people's hearts. There are some here today, Lord, who would say that they're cultural Christians or haven't really, really repented and turned from their sin. They haven't really surrendered their lives to Christ. Some are here as heritage Christians. They grew up in the Christian home and they just don't know of anything else and they're here simply because it's the right thing to do and because that's what they've always done. But Lord Jesus, you're calling today for people to make it Make that next step of complete and full surrender to you. And although it looks difficult, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we know that it's far more difficult not to follow Jesus. So do a work by your spirit here now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.